Well, as we open God's Word this morning, we are in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and so if you have a Bible with you or a Bible on your phone, uh, I just invite you to open it up now to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we'll be looking at the first five verses this morning. Uh, in particular, the verses that I will cover are probably the first uh, four verses, and we'll pick it up again with uh, verse 5 mm-hmm. next week. Um, now, these verses are... Uh, in their entirety, an exhortation to, as the beginning of First Peter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you. So this is an exhortation to the elders. Um, but I want to try and show us how these verses are relevant to all of us as one flock of God. And of course, one way that it's relevant to you, as we've uh, taught in this church before, is it is your job as the people of the church to choose your shepherds. And so part of this message is simply going to be talking to you about who should shepherds be? What qualities should they have? And what does it mean that we are one flock? Now, this uh, idea that Peter has here of a flock having shepherds is not just one that Peter made up. He didn't come up with this image. Rather, it uh, runs throughout the Bible. So first, we're going to go to Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 28 to 32, where Paul calls elders to be shepherds. Um, And then we'll go back to Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Ezekiel is talking to those who are shepherds of Israel. But as in contrast to 1 Peter 5, where Peter's telling about the the good way that shepherds are supposed to be, Ezekiel shows us the way that the shepherds in the Old Testament went wrong and ruined the people that they were supposed to be shepherding. And so we'll, we'll see that contrast there from Ezekiel 34. And then lastly, Sadie will come and read for us uh, Psalm 23, Uh, again, this Old Testament passage that begins with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Um, It's one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in all of Scripture, one of the most comforting and edifying passages to me. And again, I think that this passage of Psalm 23, of Ezekiel, of Isaiah, all these words about us being a flock and God being our shepherd are filling Peter's mind as he writes uh, these words to the shepherds of the various churches, the, the flocks that he is writing to. And so uh, let's listen now to God's word, what God has to say to shepherds and what God has to say to us as his sheep. So Nate, if you want to come up for us and begin our reading in First Peter. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Close yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things 
to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth and none with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is a really amazing truth, is it not, that Ezekiel proclaims that the Lord himself will be the shepherd of his people? That no longer will there be some type of intermediary between God and man that will need priests or will need somebody else to go through in order to have access to God, but rather, as Ezekiel makes the promise, that God himself will be our shepherd. And when God himself is our shepherd, then we get all of those beautiful promises of Psalm 23, that we need not fear when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we know we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we know these things not because we somehow become really strong or really great people, right? But because we have a really strong and a really great shepherd. But if we're going to have God as a shepherd, it means that we must confess, we must admit that we are his sheep. We must admit that we are creatures in need of a shepherd. And that is a very difficult thing for us to do. Because what does a sheep need? What kind of care does a sheep need? Well, a sheep needs every kind of care. A sheep is not much better than a newborn baby, I think, in being able to take care of itself. A sheep cannot defend itself. A sheep can't even always find a place for good food. A sheep doesn't know where to go, where to get a drink. A sheep can't do anything for itself. That's why sheep need shepherds. So that a sheep has someone to find, help it find food, protect it, give it rest from its enemies. All these things are what a shepherd does. A shepherd cares for sheep. And so if we want God to be our shepherd, then the very first step we must take is to say, Lord, I am just a sheep. I'm just someone in need of a shepherd. I myself, in my own wisdom, in my own intelligence, I don't know where to find good food. I don't know where to find rest. I, don't, I can't protect myself. I need you, God. And in that way, when we admit that to God, when we admit that we are not wise, that God knows better than we know, that he is our protector, that he is our provider, when we're ready to lean upon God in all those ways, that is when we become one of his sheep. That is the act of faith that we have to go through that makes us one of God's people. This is what baptism signifies. When we die to ourself, we die to our pride, we die to our self-sufficiency, and we rise again from the dead with someone else to care for us, with a new kind of sufficiency, one not found in ourselves, but one found in God alone. It is because all of us who are part of the church have made this confession, have gone through this transformation, that we are actually one flock. And so in 1 Peter 5, this is why in verse 2, he can say, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. God has one flock. It is all made up of one kind of people. What is that one kind of people? It is the kind of people who have humbled themselves before God. Again, those people who have said, I cannot care for myself, I need the Lord to care for me. Now, Peter has described this transformation in various ways throughout his letter. He's discussed before, what is it that binds us together as one people? What is it that makes us one flock? The first place where he has talked about this is in 
1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we all have been born again. We all have the same hope. This is what makes us one flock. A little later on in chapter 1, he phrases it a little bit differently. In verse 18, he says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So again, this is what makes us one flock. We have been ransomed. We have been set apart from all the foolish ways that came before, and we have been bought with precious blood. And so this is what binds us together. And as he goes on in chapter 2, he talks about the beauty of how unified the church is by these things. And it comes to a climax in 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, you plural, you as a people, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, this is the kind of people that we are. We are people who have been born again. We are people who have been ransomed. And because this has happened to us, we are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, beloved, if this is our identity... If this is who we are in Jesus Christ, does it not make sense that we need shepherds? We, we need someone, we need something, we need some kind of structure to make sure that we retain this identity. Right? If we truly have been made distinct from the world, if we truly have gone through a transformation, That means that we need to stay in the transformation that God has brought about. It means that we need to maintain the identity that God has given us. If we say that we're saved, if we say that we've been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers, but then we just go on living in those feudal ways, living in the ways of the past, living as if we've not been born again to a living hope, well then, What does it mean that God has done a work in us? What does it mean that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? It doesn't mean anything. This identity that God has given us is something that we, as a people, have to work out in our lives right now. It's something that we have to display in our lives. Now, that's not at all to say that we display it in our own strength or according to our own lights. No, this is God's work in us just as much as our initial salvation was God's work in us. But it is God's work in us now to make us this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation. And so if we are going to be this kind of people, if we are going to be this kind of flock, then it makes sense that we need shepherds. We need people who are going to guard us, we're going to guide us, we're going to feed us, strengthen us, help us, right? It's not easy to maintain this identity that God has given. It's not natural. If you wake up any given morning, 
and you just decide you're just going to go with the flow that day, you're just going to do what feels right, well, then you're not going to be walking in your identity in Jesus Christ. The world all around us is filled with temptation. The world all around us does not want us to follow after Christ, does not want us to live in our identity as those who have been ransomed from the world. The world wants to pull us back in. And so if we don't wake up in battle, if we don't have a mindset that we need to be protected, we need to be fed, we need to walk in a different way, then we will inevitably sink into our old ways, the ways of the world. We will not be a distinct people. We will not be a flock. We will not be the church of God. And so this is why God gives us shepherds so that we can actually maintain this high calling, this glorious identity that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Now, what is it that a shepherd does? All right, I've, I think we all have an idea of what a shepherd is, right? We know that a shepherd is someone who cares for sheep. That's the definition of a shepherd, but we don't live in any kind of agricultural society, do we? Like, none of us probably know anyone who is a shepherd. Probably none of us have even seen a shepherd driving down the road in the last couple of years. So we are very far removed from the idea of what a shepherd is, what a shepherd does, right? I myself know next to nothing about what a shepherd does. But the text that I have found most helpful in terms of what a shepherd does is the text of Psalm 23. Because again, the text of Psalm 23 is meant to show us how the Lord is our shepherd. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to go back to Psalm 23 so that from Psalm 23 we can get a picture of just what a shepherd is. What does a shepherd do? And then we can carry it back to 1 Peter 5 to see how Peter sees shepherds functioning in the life of the church. So again, if you have your Bible, you can turn back to Psalm 23. We're going to be looking at that for a few minutes before we turn back to 1 Peter 5. Now, Psalm 23 is just six verses. And again, this isn't going to be any kind of in-depth exploration of Psalm 23. I'm really just going to Psalm 23 to see how, how did David, who was a shepherd, how did he think of what a shepherd's job was, right? What did he think of a shepherd is supposed to do? And in particular, how does he ascribe that to God? How is it that God himself is our shepherd? So I'm going to go through Psalm 23 and just make some very kind of surface-level observations about what a shepherd does. So Psalm 23 begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now pause there. I think from this we can see that the very first thing that a shepherd does is a shepherd provides. A shepherd makes sure that the sheep have sustenance, right? That's why David said he makes me lie down in green pastures. What are green pastures? Places with grass, right? Places where sheep can eat. That's the significance of green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's the significance of still waters? It's a place where you can drink if you're thirsty. It's not dangerous flowing rapids where you might fall in, but it's a place where you can go and you can drink till you're full. So this is the first thing that a shepherd does. And this point that a shepherd provides, and in particular how good of a shepherd God is, is stated in verse 1, I shall not want, right? So that's how good the Lord is. He provides for us so much that we won't have any want, that we won't have any lack. 
And good shepherds try to provide for sheep in such a way that they won't hunger, they won't have thirst. So this is the first thing that a shepherd does. All right, now going on. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. From this, I think we find the second thing that a shepherd does. A shepherd gives rest. A shepherd finds a place of rest. Again, if we go back to verse 2, we even see this spoken of in these verses. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? So not just giving me food, but actually giving me rest, giving me a place where I can relax. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And again, the significance of still waters and not just water, that it's a place of calmness, a place of peace, a place of rest. And so shepherds also give rest. All right, now going on, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So this is the third thing that shepherds do. They lead. They give guidance. They help you know where to go. And of course, mostly what's in a shepherd's mind as he's caring for sheep in terms of where do we go? It's where is their good pasture? Where is their food? Where is their rest? But the sheep are following the shepherd to those places where they can find food, where they can find water, where they can find rest. And so a shepherd is a guide. A shepherd is a leader. And then the last thing we see in verses 4 and 5, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So I think in these verses, what we see that a shepherd does is a shepherd protects. Right? David's saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So even though I'm in a dangerous place, I'm not afraid. Why am I not afraid? Because my shepherd is there, because he's going to protect me. Your rod and your staff, the instruments of a shepherd, they comfort me, right? And again in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Okay, so even in a dangerous place, you protect me. You make sure I have what I need. And so I think in David's mind, who was by all accounts an amazing shepherd, (laughs) what a shepherd does is a shepherd is one who provides, a shepherd is one who gives rest, a shepherd is one who guides, and a shepherd is one who protects. Those four things, provides, gives rest, guides, and protects. This is the job of a shepherd. Now, let's carry this idea back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, 1 Peter 5 verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he brings all this weight to bear on this command that he's about to give. And what is the command? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice how Peter uses that word shepherd as a command, as an imperative, what they are to do. An elder is to be a shepherd. And again, based on Psalm 23, what does that mean? It 
means an elder is to be one who provides, one who gives rest, one who guides, and one who protects. This is the job of elders in the church. It's through exercising these roles, it's through doing these things that elders, that shepherds, are going to help the church grow in that identity that God has given it in Jesus Christ. It's by means of this protection and feeding and guidance and rest that the church will become this holy nation, this royal priesthood, this chosen race. Without this kind of protection, without this kind of food, without this kind of rest, what happens? Well, we saw it in Ezekiel. The sheep are scattered. The sheep forget. The sheep don't know the identity that God has given them, and they go off in their own way. And so this is why the gift of shepherds is a good gift of God and why it is an important gift. So that the church can actually maintain that identity that God has given her. Now, how is it that the shepherds do these different things? What does it mean for a shepherd to feed and to give rest and to guide and to protect right? Like, my job is not to, like, cook for you, right? I don't give you, like, literal food, right? And, of course, that's not what Peter thought of as a shepherd either. I mean, one of the most beautiful things, I think, in in terms of this command that Peter gives when he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, is Peter received the same command firsthand from Christ, did he not? Do you remember when Peter betrayed Christ, when he denied Christ three times? And then after Jesus had risen from the dead. He came back to Peter and he asked, Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter three times and Peter was like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And do you remember what Jesus himself said to Peter in that moment? He said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he said it to Peter three times. He, he told Peter to be a shepherd. And so you can just tell here in 1 Peter 5, as as Peter is exhorting the other shepherds in God's church, he's thinking of how Jesus himself told him to feed the sheep. And he's telling other shepherds to, to do the same thing. But again, Peter knew when Jesus said, feed my sheep, Jesus wasn't giving a a command to, to be a farmer or to be a cook or something like that. What was it that Jesus was commanding? How is it that Peter carries out this duty? Well, beloved, that's where the whole letter of 1 Peter is a great example to us. Peter said right here that he himself is an elder. He himself is a shepherd. And so what he is writing in 1 Peter is his understanding, is him exemplifying for us, showing us what it means to be a good shepherd. What does it mean to be a good shepherd? So let's just go through these four things, these four jobs of a shepherd, and we can see how Peter is addressing each one of these things in his letter. Now, the first thing that I want to look at is how a shepherd protects. How a shepherd protects. Now, in the letter of 1 Peter, Peter has identified at least two different sources of danger for the flock of God. One source of danger is from the outside, The other source of danger is from the inside. Now from the outside, Peter has addressed to great lengths in this letter how the people of God are in the midst of suffering, are in the midst of persecution. He starts at the very beginning of his letter, 1 verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
But then as soon as he says, you've been grieved by various trials, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says there is this danger from without. He recognizes that this is something where the sheep need protection. But how do the sheep need protection? Well, mainly the sheep need protection and that they need to be reminded that those sufferings that come upon them are not there to harm them, are not there to destroy them, are not even ultimately against them, but they're actually there to produce something wonderful in them, something more precious than gold that perishes, namely knowing that our faith is genuine. And so this is how Peter is going about this work of protection. He's saying, I recognize that there is this danger, that there is this opposition coming against you. But his job is not to take up a sword, to take up a gun, to somehow fight back against those who are attacking the sheep. No, his job is to remind the sheep that in the midst of these outward pressures, that they must not cave in because God has a better hope for them. Because God is doing something wonderful in the midst of their sufferings. And his job, of course, is just to remind them that these sufferings are indeed normal. As we've seen again and again in Peter, Peter says, you are going to suffer if you are in Christ Jesus. He says it perhaps most clearly in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So this is part of his role as shepherd, is just saying, Be aware that suffering is going to come. Don't be surprised by it. A shepherd who is not protecting the sheep doesn't warn them that there might be some dangers coming their way. A shepherd who's not protecting the sheep doesn't remind them that God is doing good things in the midst of that. And so Peter is protecting the flock by teaching them what this suffering is for, by warning them that this suffering is coming. So that's the external suffering that Peter was warning them on. But Peter also warns that there is an internal danger. There is an internal thing against which we need protection. And so 1 Peter 2 verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So you see here, Peter is recognizing that the dangerous Christian faith is not just that the the culture outside is somehow going to attack us or oppress us. No, there is a war against us that's happening on the inside of our own hearts. That danger, that war is called the passions of the flesh. And so how does he guard them against the passions of the flesh? Well, he does a similar thing to those things who are external. One, he's making them aware that this is a real danger, right? He's alerting them to it. But then in the midst of that, he's telling them what they must do, how they must battle it. And so in the very next verse, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He's telling them how to respond to these passions of the flesh, to resist these passions of the flesh. We're back in chapter 1. He says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he goes on to give them much ammunition for this battle against the flesh within us, the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. And so in this way, Peter is protecting the flock. 
Protecting the flock from those outside. Protecting the flock from those dangers which are inside our own hearts. The second job of a shepherd is to feed. How is Peter feeding the flock? Well, I think the main way that Peter feeds the flock is he reminds them of the good things that God has done. He gives them truth for their souls to feast upon. So part of that is Peter looking back to remind them of the amazing things that Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so in chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, Peter says that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He's reminding them of all the good work that Jesus Christ has done, what they have believed, and what that has done. And then a little later on in chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, Peter writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he's reminding you of the goodness of Jesus Christ, the glory of what Christ has accomplished. He's inviting you to feast on these things. To feast on the goodness of Christ and on the glory of what Jesus has accomplished. But Peter does not only look back to what Christ has already done. Peter also feeds them with the nourishment, the food of the future, of what yet is to come. And so at the very beginning of his letter, 1 verses 4 and 5, he says that Christ has saved you to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's reminding them there is this glorious inheritance coming if you persevere, set your mind there. Feast upon that instead of upon the feast of the world. Throughout the letter, what Peter is trying to do is remind them that Jesus is returning and about the glorious hope that is coming. And so even toward the end of the letter, in 1 Peter 4 verse 1, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And he goes on to describe the redemption that has been accomplished, what they've been brought out of and what they've been brought into. And so Peter is encouraging them to have this mindset. He is feeding them with the mindset of Jesus Christ so that they will know the good hope that they have, so that they will know the glorious inheritance that is theirs and so that they will know what Christ has already accomplished for them. This is their food. This is what it means for Peter to feed the sheep, to tell them all these good things. These are the green pastures that God has given to us. And so we feed upon these green pastures. The third thing that the shepherd is called to do is to give rest. 
And again, Peter in this letter is often signaling the need for rest. At the very beginning of the letter, he addresses the people to whom he's writing as exiles. In 2 verse 11, he calls them sojourners and exiles. And so he recognizes that the Christian life is a journey. It's a weary life because we are essentially outcasts from the world. We don't have a resting place on this earth. We are a tired people in need of rest. And yet, Peter does direct some place where we may find rest on this earth. And so the first place we see him indicating something like this is in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. He's addressing the church. He's addressing the flock. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. What he's describing is a place of rest, a place where when we come, we find unity, we find sympathy, We find love. We find tenderness, right? These are the things that home is. And Peter is saying to the shepherds especially, this is the sort of place that you are supposed to create. This is the sort of space that you are supposed to lead. A space of unity and sympathy and love. A tender heart. A humble mind. And then Peter goes on, perhaps even more directly, in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so again, this is the place of rest that Christians have on this earth as we are on this hard journey from the moment of our salvation to the time when we finally see the face of God. It is a hard journey. We experience the suffering within, the trials within, the trials without. And yet, when we come to the church, we're supposed to have this place of hospitality, this place of earnest love for one another, this place where each of us has a gift that we're using to serve one another. This is why in 1 Peter 2, Peter says that we are being built into a spiritual house. That's 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So the church itself is a house. The church itself is a place where we call home, where we steward the gifts that God has given to serve one another. And again, because shepherds are to lead this and they're to be examples, shepherds are to cultivate this place of rest, this place of service to one another. And then lastly, what the shepherd does is the shepherd guides. Now, I don't think this really needs its own explanation because at every point along the way, what Peter has done to protect, what Peter has done to feed, what Peter has done to give rest, is he has given guidance, right? He has shown us the way we ought to go. He has told us what it is we ought to think about, what we ought to not think about, the ways we ought to leave behind, the ways we ought to go. In all of this letter, Peter is counseling us. He's showing us how to live out the Christian life, how to live with the mindset of Jesus Christ. And so in feeding, in protecting, in giving rest, the authority that shepherds have been given, the job that shepherds have been given, is essentially the job of guidance, the job of guide. God is not given shepherds the authority to take up the swords for ourselves. 
He's not even given us the authority to somehow bind your conscience like you always have to listen to what we say. No, what God has given shepherds the authority is to do is he's given us the authority to look to God's word, to find the treasures that we can find into God's word and to feed you with these treasures that God has for us, to protect you with these treasures that God has for us, and to create a place of rest through the treasures that God has for us. And so our job is to be guides, is to point you to the path of life, is to point you to the place of green pastures, of still waters, to point you to the place of safety. And in doing that, we are being the shepherds that God has called us to be. And so God has given shepherds to fulfill these roles in the church so that the church truly can be this beautiful community, this place where all those who have been born again to a living hope are continually nurtured in their faith, continually built up in their faith, become the spiritual house that God called them to be and be this chosen race and this royal priesthood so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ to all the world. The church is where that begins. It is from the church that the glory of God shines forth. And so it is the job of shepherds to protect to provide for, to guide this place of glory, this place of God's dwelling. Now, in closing, I just want to look at the three uh, requirements, the three characteristics that Peter gives to us of what a shepherd must be, what kind of shepherd we should be looking for. So again, he has the command in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, Exercising oversight. Now, I think that word for oversight is just meant to reiterate for us what the job of shepherd is. A shepherd is an overseer. Elsewhere in the New Testament, an elder is called an overseer. It's just part of a shepherd's job is to oversee things. So exercising oversight, and here's the first thing, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So an elder is not to be someone who is an elder, who is a shepherd merely out of obligation, who serves others in such a way to say, well, I guess I'll serve you if I have to. No, an elder is one who serves willingly as God would have you. The Greek there for as God would have you literally just says like God. How does God serve us? How does God come to us? Well, God serves us eagerly. He serves us generously. God never withholds anything from us. And so elders are to be the same way. Whenever we have an opportunity to serve the flock, we're not to say, well, do I really have to serve the flock in this way? If we at all have the capacity, we should say, yes, I'm so glad I get this opportunity to serve the flock of God. This is what a good shepherd is. This is what the heart of God is toward his people, to serve generously. So shepherds must not be under compulsion. They're not just shepherds because they have to be, because it's an obligation, because they signed up a couple years ago, and so I guess they better keep going, right? Nothing like that. No, someone who serves with joy and willingly. So not under compulsion, but willingly. The second one we see is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now the precise context that Peter was writing to, I think, was the context of people wanting monetary gain. 
So, of course, even in Peter's day, the church paid those who were shepherds and overseers. And so, no doubt, there were some men who thought, you know what, I could make a better income as a shepherd, as an elder, than I could on my farm or by whatever else it is I'm doing. And so, some thought, I'll become a shepherd so that I can get a better paycheck. But again, Peter's saying that that is not at all the reason why anyone should become a shepherd. It's not for gain, it's for serving others sacrificially. Now, in our own day, that's obviously not as much of a concern, but there are other ways that people might want to step into eldership to accrue something for themselves, right? Maybe they just like being up front and like being in charge. They like the reputation that being a pastor brings, and so they think, oh, if I could get that title, then people would respect me, or if I could get that title, then I would be able to speak my mind a lot more, and other people would listen to me more, right? This is the sort of shameful gain that Peter is here condemning. Beloved, the call to be a shepherd is the call to die to yourself and to live to serve others. It's the call to not mainly be someone who speaks his mind, but to be someone who listens to the needs of others. It's the call not to be someone who is getting great respect, but the one who goes lower than everyone else in service. The work of elder must never be a means of gain or of pride of place or anything like that. The role of elder is to lay your life down for others. And then the last thing that Peter tells us is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, to my own heart, I think this is the most beautiful of all of Peter's commands here, just because it covers such wide ground. Just think of how easy it is to lead others if you have a right to domineer over them, right? Like if any of you were to come to me and to say, Rob, I have this problem. Tell me how to fix it. And if I were able to just kind of use my authority, use my position and say, well, let me tell you the three things that you have to do. And I tell you three things and I follow up a week later and I say, have you done these three things? No? Well, then get back to work. You know, this domineering kind of leadership. That would actually make leadership pretty easy, right? I could just keep a list in my office, right, of everybody's names and what I told them to do. And I would just follow up with everybody saying, are you doing what I told you to do? But, beloved, that exact opposite kind of leadership that the New Testament exhorts. That is not a shepherding kind of leadership. A shepherding kind of leadership is the kind of leadership that lives by example. That says, if I want you to walk in righteousness, if I want you to do what God calls you to do, then what must I do? I must live as one under authority. I must live as God has called me to live. And then I must be so near to you, I must be so present to you, that you can actually see my example and you can follow in my footsteps. This is the most fundamental work of an elder, is to cultivate my own soul, cultivate my own walk with God, cultivate my own love for the Lord, and then cultivate my love for you so that I love being with you, I love being around you, so that you can see my example and you can walk in it. Beloved, if I am not doing that, if I am just leading from on high, if I am just pontificating, if I am just standing at the pulpit telling you what to do every week and I am not living a life 
worthy of the gospel, I should not be an elder for a second. If I'm not willing to visit with you, to meet with you, to have meals with you, to live my life in your presence, I should not be an elder. Because my most fundamental role is to be an example to you of how Christ would have us to live so that, Lord willing, by the beauty of my example, which is the Spirit's work within me, by the beauty of that example, you can see the beauty of what it means to live for Jesus. And you can say, I want a life like that. And so, beloved, I know that any weaknesses that our church has, any failures that our church has, ultimately, it comes back to me. I need to be a better example. And when I am that example that God calls me to be, and you can see that example, then I trust that God will work through that example so that our whole church can grow and can be this beautiful place that God calls us to be. Understand that I never for a moment want to domineer over any of you. Never putting blame on any of you for, why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? To talk in that way would be to violate my obligation, my role as a shepherd. And so what do I do? I say, Lord, reveal to me my own sin. Lord, reveal to me where I need to grow. Reveal to me what I need to do better. And then let me put that on display for the sheep that you have given. And I trust that as I do that, as I am faithful to the Lord and recognizing my own sin first and putting that on display to others, that God will indeed use the shepherds that he has given to this church to build up the flock of God. And so I ask for your prayer for me in that way. I ask for your prayer for the other elders of this church in that way. And especially you men that are here sitting in the pews, I encourage you to consider what steps would the Lord maybe have you to take to become this kind of elder that the Lord wants for his flock. Remember, especially as we go to these new bylaws, we don't want elders who are just elders for life. We want men to be raised up to be elders. We want to even raise up church planners, Lord willing, as evangelism goes out and more people are saved. We need more pastors. We need the kingdom to grow. So men, let's grow into this kind of shepherd that Peter calls us to. And in that way, would we be the kind of church that God calls us to be? Would we be the flock under his care. Would you pray with me to that end right now?